This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to my Monday night show. I'm Hannah Wilson, and tonight we're talking about teaching in the family. Does it come in the blood? Is it something that's passed down, good teaching? Um, and I've been joined by my lovely sister and mother tonight, so this could be quite an interesting conversation and see if our recounts of how we influence each other's teaching go. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm just going to mention our lovely sponsors, John Cat. So they are the place to go for all your educational this books. This show is and brought needs. to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This show is brought to you in partnership with... So welcome. We've managed to get my sister. Hopefully my mum will manage to work out technology. Um, Welcome to the show, Vicky. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. Excellent. Amazing. It's nice to um, hear you. Um, just for context, I'm over in Norfolk and my sister's over the other side of the country in Cornwall. So even though we've ended up in the same profession, we've ended up at completely opposite sides um, of the country. Um, Vicky, give us your background into teaching. Um, so I didn't want to be a teacher. Um, having grown up with mum, I think who's just managed to get on as well, um, as a teacher, I decided that wasn't the way forward for me, um, but I was really interested in, in working with young people, so I wanted to be a music therapist. But when I did my music degree, I was um, strongly advised that before I went in to do music therapy, that I needed to work with people. So I was advised to do either a teaching PGCE or to go down uh, the social work route. So. I even remember sitting in the bedroom with mum and I'm saying, I'm doing this PGC. And mum was like, I really don't think this is for you, Vicky. Um, but anyway, I did it and I never went back to the music therapy because I fell in love with it and felt I was making a difference. And I'm, I was quite similar. So I, I have very, very strong memories of you teaching me to play the piano as a child. I definitely, I think I knew you were going to be a teacher before you did. Um, you definitely inherited mum's teaching voice, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I what kind of, I didn't, want, <laughs> I didn't want to become a teacher. I ended up becoming a beach lifeguard between uni and then went travelling the world and became a scuba diving instructor, which essentially just teaching just the beach version um and then came back and did my master's and, and got into teaching um that way we'll come back and because I don't genuinely don't think I would have got my first job without mum so we'll, we'll come back to that a bit later on um 
obviously I've been researching this. So I've looked into the statistics of how likely you are to become a teacher if one of your parents is the teacher or both your parents are the teacher. So um, there was a study done in 2019 um, using the National Longitudinal Survey um, on Youth and Culture, Child and Young Adult Supplement. Uh, So the research found that children whose mothers were teachers were 9% um, more likely to become teachers than children whose mothers were not teaching. Um, the effect appeared both in sons and daughters, although it appeared stronger in daughters. So we can definitely reiterate that. Um, the data on fathers, though, was you were you more limited, um, but it showed that having a father who was a teacher, you have an even greater influence than having a mother in the profession, particularly among sons. But there was a small increase in um transmission rates when both parents were teachers um so the difference but the difference between two teaching parents and one teaching mother was not that big a difference so apparently if your mum's a teacher you're way more likely to go into um, into your teaching you don't need both your teachers just your mums so um i guess mum how did you end up into teaching and like influencing us on the other side well in my day when i went to the past 11 plus and went to the local grammar school if you weren't in the top echelon of the school i.e the a class and you were in the b class the a class went to university the b class went to teaching or banking and as i wanted to leave home i went to teaching so you have been teaching for quite some years. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Mum. You finally retired last year at the age of uh, 72 and finally gave up teaching. 73, I mean, actually. 73 and still teaching. That, for me, is... I mean, I, I love teaching, but I really hope I'm still not teaching at that age. Um, I wasn't teaching full-time, to be fair. And I was doing something I loved. I was really doing something I loved. I really felt I was making a difference because I found my niche in special needs. And I think I found my niche in special needs because... I always found it difficult at school. Uh, It didn't come naturally to me. As I say, I wasn't in the A stream, I was in the B stream. Um, So I could understand when people struggled. So are you you reiterating that lovely phrase of those that can't teach? (laughs) Probably, yes, but that was a long time ago. So tell us about how you started out. What was your first school? How did you um, find teaching at the start of your career? My first school was in Galston um, and yeah, it was fine. It was just a long way to go. I wasn't used to the travelling because I travelled from Norwich. My second, I just did my probation, what, what was in those days your probationary year. You had to do a year before you became fully qualified. And then I got a job um, more locally. And that was when I really began to fall in love in, with teaching because it was I was very lucky and I fell into a really good school. Um, we did a lot of experimental work, um, which seemed quite groundbreaking in those days, which probably laid the foundations for teaching today. I lost you. No, no we're, we're, just, we're just listening. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, we, we we started doing things like, when I first started teaching, everybody, uh, there was no, um, oh, what's the word, I've forgotten the word, I've been out teaching a year and I can't remember the word. Um, there, there was no breaking things up into 
um the hard the medium and the easy everybody did the same you taught the same lesson to everybody and though and the more able got as far as they could have got further than the less able who didn't get so far um but we started particularly with maths we pioneered something called smp maths which was all on cards and the children used to take a card and they could then progress at their own speed um and actually we had um we had one big room with three classes with the top year top year of a middle school in which was quite groundbreaking in those days and we did actually then divide the children uh into the you know, muddle the three classes up into three different groups so that uh, one teacher took those that were more able and one teacher took those that needed more help etc so in a way that was ahead of its time do you think that um in terms of strategies and things do you do you see it all come round again in the in the time that you were there so that like even because I know that when we chat about teaching you're like oh I didn't used to do that and and but do you think a lot of it still comes round? it just changes kind of yeah when I first started teaching uh started teaching topics were the in thing uh everything was topic based and then it went to everything being subject based that you talk history separately geography separately art separately and now it's all come round again and it all gets tied into a topic um but when i left it was beginning to go separate ways again i think you're quite unique as well in the fact that you've um taught kind of both primary and secondary so you started off mainly um doing primary and then have moved to secondary at various points yeah what was that like kind of changing was that more flexible back then to be able to do that uh, I did a junior secondary course, so I was always qualified to teach in a secondary school and I did do some teaching in secondary schools. I taught maths and science at one point in a secondary school. Uh, I've even taught in an infant school um, for a couple of years at one point in my career. So I think I'm probably unique in as much as I have taught right across the board, which probably helps with the special needs teaching that I went into. Do you think it's helped with your kind of longevity in teaching as well? The fact that you kind of um, did such a range and it, it kept it interesting and, and engaging. I think the most important thing is to be interested in doing something that you enjoy because then your enthusiasm comes across to the children. And although in the latter years um, you you very much had to choose your genre in English, etc., etc., but I would always change what I was teaching. I would change the book, uh, the text, um, and approach it from a different angle because that's what I found interesting. And I just enjoyed doing something differently. And um, have you got a favourite moment in teaching or a favourite like point in your career that you really enjoyed? Ooh. <laughs> Testing on that one. Yeah, it is difficult. Um, I think, I think the, my last school I taught at, I taught, I had a, variety, a wide variety of ages in the class, which was quite challenging. Um, I had from eight to 11. Uh, and I had um, non readers right through to quite bright children, but they all had their little foibles, um, but they gelled. I, it was lovely. It was really lovely because we were a small class of only 10. It was just so nice to see 
them all working together and supporting each other. And I think that's something that perhaps you don't get in the big classes quite so much. And I think also with, with you, and especially remember growing up, when we bump into students that are outside of school, it's always like, hello, miss. And they're always so excited to see you. So I think we always saw that side of it as well, that you were really greatly appreciated uh, uh, when you came home at Christmas and the summer when you had the we had an abundance of chocolate on our house from those lovely parents. <laughs> but um, I, I loved it when, you, when it was smellies. Christmas and end of term. Like, and all the smellies. We were fine for like shower gel for the rest of the year. Um, <laughs> but I think that just shows that you were really appreciated as a teacher. But as, as us as kind of children at home seeing that, I guess it was kind of a bit of a, you can see the rewards of it. You can see that you were appreciated in your teaching. I think I never... I never pretended to be better than them. I always said that I was dyslexic, that I always found it difficult, and that if if they were finding it difficult, that it was it was my fault, and that uh, it wasn't their fault. It was me, and I needed to find another way of showing them how to do it. And I think the children appreciated that because I never made them feel that they couldn't do something. And um, Vicky, so you obviously decided that you didn't want to be a teacher. What what made you originally not want to be a teacher? Was it anything that mum did or saw? <laughs> I don't know, because I can also look back um, and, and think of some really in- inspiring times by mum. But I think because mum very much, I think from my earliest memories of her teaching, that, that had an impact on me she she was quite often involved with um, some significant special needs or children or very disadvantaged children and I, I knew that that was quite um a drain you know not draining and, and it's not uh, mum's mum's teaching has never been in sit down in front of a class um teach them all nicely it, Mum, your teaching was never really like that that I can remember, Mum. You've always had very challenging situations, uh, and maybe it was that a little bit. But at the same time, I now look back at that and would say that inspired me as well. And and also, I think people that go into special needs, and I did end up in actual special needs school, the staff that are in those schools are just special people. And I could always rely on my colleagues to talk things through with. And I think, you know, when when you got something wrong, you or you felt something wasn't going well, you went into the staff room, you said, Oh, God, and then they say, Oh, have you tried this? And oh, that happened to me. And that would make you feel better. And yeah, you get there eventually. How many years in total did you teach? Well, I started when I was 22. <laughs> we'll leave that one. The you do the maths. The, the listeners. <laughs> Vicky, how many years have you been in? Uh, oh, so I'm 97. So I think I'm like well into the 20s. 20, is it, is, I suppose this would be like 26. Is there any like point where you were like, oh, I'd want to change careers? Or have you always been like, oh, I really enjoy this. I kind of I know what I'm going to get because you've kind of seen what mum's been through. I guess. And I still think there's still things that I can achieve in teaching as well. So again, I've also had quite a, a varied teaching career. And I've I've had times where I was part time when my family were young as well. Um, and I've changed my whole 
specialism. So I trained in, in music for secondary, but now I'm a Senko. But I'm very lucky because the school I'm in, I still get to teach some music as well. Um, and I, I just think, edu you know, being in education is an education itself, isn't it? There's always things to learn, always things to do, always challenges. That's the oh, one I thing I remember you done. saying, Vicky, is that um, I don't, because at one point you were thinking about going into medicine and I can remember you saying, I don't want to be a doctor because I love my music and I don't want to never have time for my music. Yeah. So teaching was a way that I could still be like caring and have that side of things and still have my music. And I'm also really into my sport as well. Um, and you can get to do a bit of that at school as well. And I remember absolutely wonderful concerts that you put on when you were in London. Mm, they were good. They were good. It was such fun. I was so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, that's that's my memory. So there's a bit of a gap between me and Vicky. There's 10 years between us, isn't there? So as, as a kid, I, like, in my teens, when you'd kind of qualified and were kind of running these shows, going and watching those shows and the things that you put on and seeing those kids, they were just amazing to go watch it and, and I, I was just in awe of the fact that you'd put that on and and also how the kids treated you but you were like oh meet this student meet this student and they were always like oh you're her little sister and they're like we're so excited to meet you like just the kind of atmosphere that you get and I'm like gosh this is her work this is actually like she has such a lovely relationship with those kids and they're genuinely excited to meet your family which was nice I think that it meant a lot to them that they knew because, as I said, I started, as you said, I started teaching in London and they knew you guys were coming down from Norfolk and making an effort. And that meant a lot to them as well. And you it was always nice because we've got the front row seats as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I mean, we still make the long trip down to Cornwall. We came and saw um, your show uh, last time we were Boxing down. Malone, we came to see, didn't we? And it's it's great as like someone in senior leadership up there on the piano doing the accompaniment. It's it's really interesting to kind of see that side of it that you're you're still really engaged in all areas of teaching, even though you've moved up to that more senior role. Oh yeah, I mean I think, but that's a really important part of being in the senior role for me is making sure you're still seeing the children and being involved with them. And I would when I. When I went for my current post, I was asked whether or not it was because I have a mat role as well, it, whether or not I would want to have any classroom time. And I was like, absolutely. I need to know the children. I need to, you know, spend that time with them and know what's going on in their lives and what generally, you know, because things generally affect children, don't they? I mean, for example, just what it's been like post pandemic and things like that. So I've always wanted to be involved with the children. Um, I love being, I have quite a lot of dinner duties at the moment and seeing the, you know, having that chat in the dining room and what you're having. Oh, it's chip day again. I love all that. It's just, it's, it's, teaching is one of those things that just keeps giving. And I think if you're not in it, you don't get it, if that makes sense. And there I feel is like never a dull moment. <laughs> it's always different. Every day is always different but I think sometimes there aren't enough moments in the day but there's never a dull one I was going to say I think that's the benefit isn't it of coming from a teaching family is that when things go wrong or, or especially like things that are perhaps like 
quite controversial at school that there's maybe like somebody you can't necessarily talk to or ask like how how do I deal with this situation having family members that you can go and speak to in that situation where it's like oh gosh what happened kind of what should I do with this or this just happened like do you find that that that's really helped in some ways definitely I love that I mean I've you know, I've I've been in teaching a fair amount of time as well, but I still steal stuff off mum and I still stuff off you as well, Han. <laughs> and for me, at the end of my career, I couldn't have carried on as long as I did without you, Hannah, helping me with the IT bit because I was not IT trained at all. I was going to say, there was a point I, I vaguely remember before I got into teaching, I knew how to write reports, that's for sure, because um, <laughs> mum used to write them in this little lovely little notebook and then ask me to type them all up and put them into the system. So um, I was a pro at reports. You're not allowed to give my secrets away. <laughs> but I think I think that's a nice thing. Of the, uh, it is of that generation that we were able to help you in terms of technology to be able to kind of continue in the teaching profession whereas perhaps that's something one of the reasons that people would have left the profession previously same as oh my gosh I had such respect for you uh during covid learning how to do online learning (laughs) no offense mum at your age but it it was was, a nightmare We had quite there was quite a few conversations at that time as wasn't there Hannah just supporting oh yeah (laughs) I think I think that's the thing. Like you, you needed us at that point. I certainly did <laughs> to help you kind of get through it and and work out how to do it and and things. And it, it was that it, it was COVID was such a weird time with with teaching, but it was one of those where you pinged it around. But it was quite interesting being like, "What's your school doing? How's your school doing it? What's your school doing? Are they have they done this or what? What was, it was? It was good in that respect to kind of." feel that you weren't alone and that and it wasn't it kind of almost calmed the chaos a little bit because it's like oh okay they're doing this I that I I should try that or oh okay like if mum could do it I certainly can do it <laughs> I think I'm one probably one of the few people who was really glad she had Covid early on because that meant that I could go back into school because at that point they were saying you could only get it once so I thought all right I'm back into school I don't have to do this online teaching anymore but I did have to do online teaching but very luckily I had the uh, the AR11 class so as soon as I got stuck I was saying oh how do you do this how do you do that and there were only two pieces to help me <laughs> And that was my thing is uh, I was really worried because you were looking after my son at the time that I was going to bring home COVID from my school and then pass it on to you and you were going to get really sick. It was really scary at that time. But actually, it was you got it from your school and you passed it on to me. And then I took out the neighbours who were teachers, some uh, friends (laughs) that were teachers. I took about five schools out. Um, But I took half my school out because I was literally sharing at the time. (laughs) But I just I think. At the same time, it was kind of nice to have each other to talk about when COVID was happening and, and in terms of what different schools were doing in different areas of the country, but also kind of having that technical support and kind of seeing what, what to do. And but I- also, I think it gave you another aspect of your pupil's life because you saw just how difficult it was for some pupils to be online and how difficult it was for them to be in a room where it was quiet. And you think, oh, yes. And this is what they have to put up with when they're trying to do their homework as well. Yeah, you definitely got to see the other side of it. I mean, my lot, my tutor group, bless them, they they wanted me to do fancy hat Friday 
and there's me online dressed as a flamingo and not a single one of the class other than one student wore a, a, like a little Mexican hat and it was just me and him. That was it. Nobody else. Everyone else laughed at us. But I think it was kind of, you, you almost become part of their their family a little bit during kind of COVID, I think. And, and it's that kind of being somebody else to talk to and that outside kind of place to kind of regulate. Yes, I think I probably talked to more parents as well during that time because they would be they'd be about um yeah especially when you were bringing them in and and they'd say the little bit and you'd say your little bit and it was quite nice really you you got to know the families a little bit more um so that's perhaps a positive for covid probably the only one (laughs) would you say that's the hardest part of your teaching career or do you think there was any other period in your many years that you think oh no that was my hardest Part. Oh, COVID was definitely the hardest. It was definitely the har- hardest because it was, for me, the technology was beyond me. Um, and it was the recording of everything and the proving that you'd done this and that. Whereas when I first started teaching, I just had a mark book and that was it. Um, and I knew exactly where all my pupils were. But <clears throat> you have to prove it now, um, which is, is is right. You should be able to prove it. But I found that so difficult um, because what would take you to uh, a couple of seconds to do was taking me probably 15 minutes per pupil. Is there anything that made you want to quit during that period or, or were you determined to see it through? Um... I got very close to quitting, I think, but I was determined that I, it wouldn't beat me. And with with your help, I got there. But do you not think, though, Mum, if you look back through the years, COVID's quite recent, so it's up there. But I mean, I'm just thinking back to times when you know you were a single mum with uh, myself and our other sister probably age of five and three and you were teaching full time and you were doing that on your own and then there's other times I can remember as well I mean I can remember I think we were talking about the other day and you said it was your first special school you you worked in and and some horrendous and you you hadn't necessarily had that special needs training and experience at the time and, and and dealing with picking milk bottles out of girls heads and things like that Yes, that was my first first venture into special needs teaching, and I was I was supply teaching at the time, and I got this job in a well, it was called ESMM, medium grade, um, so pupils who were just dropping out of the um, normal school programs, uh, but they boarded five days, and it took me a long time to realise. You don't teach on a Monday and you don't teach on a Friday because Monday you're sorting out all the problems that these kids have had from the weekend and Friday you make it nice and fun and as easy as you can because they're gearing up and getting worried about going home for the weekend. And that took me a long term, a long time to come to terms with the fact that I felt I wasn't doing my job properly because I wasn't actually teaching them then. But providing a safe space for them. Oh, um, yes. But in those days, it wasn't seen like that. No. But you were dealing with that without, like you're saying, as a, almost as a supply teacher. I had no training whatsoever. I picked it up as I went young, along. Then coming home to two very children, young children yourself as well. I mean, I remember actually going into, I mean, going into that school with you um for an inset because there were you know there was no one else around you were in a difficult position like that 
um and you're sort of looking after us and keeping an eye on us and then also and, and for me that's one of the most influential memories about you teaching and one of the things i strive to be i remember you it was monday morning and that girl came in and she'd had a milk bottle smashed over her head and she was, i remember just sitting there and just picking glass out of her head and just chatting away with her and it was really powerful to me but i also know as a mother myself having to deal with that and then coming home and deal with things at home you ne don't necessarily have the people whereas hannah and i we've got you and we've got each other you know if, if there's no one else school wise or, or school wise to deal with um to, to support you or anything we've still got each other as well i think in those days there just wasn't the support in place either um things have just changed so dramatically the well, and i no such thing as a ta in those days you just taught on your own um so there was no I mean, it didn't happen, but there was no comeback if somebody accused you of something because you were on your own anyway. Um, you you taught in a classroom with a closed door. Now, my last school I had, we all had windows in our doors and we certainly all had somebody else with us all the time. I think as well, for me, I have really strong memories. So obviously, when I was born, uh, we were then living in a country inn. So we lived kind of in a uh like it was had 13 bedrooms and it had a restaurant and a bar and you and went 19 out and bedrooms. 19 bedrooms sorry uh you went out and tour during the day and then you'd come home and work behind the bar do reception a weekends you were doing stuff like the work ethic of you as just a human I, now that I'm teaching I have a whole new level of respect I could not imagine going and teaching a day then coming home and then working behind the bar or going and working at the weekend like I just have utter respect and I think that's also we all get that from you we all have very strong work ethics that we will keep going and we will keep learning and we'll keep doing our best because I think we get that from you you're just such a strong woman I think some of this goes back to my own childhood uh, because my parents split when I was 11 and my mother was just so miserable. She was just so bitter and so miserable. And when my marriage went wrong, I was so determined that I wasn't going to be like that, that I was going to go out and I was going to make something and we were going to be all right. Yeah, I also remember at that time you were a um, you were a teacher for the RSPB. And oh, that was great. I enjoyed that. I also, but as you've also mentioned, you're dyslexic. Well, we're all dyslexic. Yeah. Um, I yeah, sorry, kids. I really <laughs> used to struggle with the fact whether you're a teacher naturist or a teacher teacher. <laughs> to this day, I still struggle. I did it with clothes on. I didn't do it naked. <laughs> oh, I'm still traumatized from the time where you went for a walk and you uh, found a pellet, and it was either going to be an owl pellet that you wanted to dissect, <laughs> or it was going to be a fox poo that you wanted to dissect. But it went in my coat pocket, and I was traumatized. <laughs> I feel being a child of a teacher, you were never stopped being taught. Like you were always oh, being yes. taught something. I loved owl pellets when I taught. I taught yes. in one particular school in Suffolk. And I took over a particularly difficult class where the teacher had had a nervous breakdown. 
and we had Ofsted in the next week. Oh my God, what am I going to teach these children that with Ofsted and I don't even really know them properly. So I took owl pellets in and I had one particular child who was particularly a uh, bit of a problem. And we were dissecting the owl pellets and the inspector came in and he looked at the owl pellets and he said to this particular child, oh, they're a bit grim aren't they oh how can you do that and he said sir they're regurgitated <laughs> yes i love you <laughs> i do I just... remember a lot quite a few lessons being practiced on us first hannah yes i do i definitely remember lots of things being practiced or getting us to do examples i mean to be fair i have done that back i've definitely done that earlier in my teaching career getting mum to help me write lesson plans prep resources cut stuff out i i, I definitely think my early kind of teaching teaching career was quite a team effort and yes. it, well, it was when you were younger because i used to make you collect everything as well <laughs> when i wanted things i wanted leaves or i wanted twigs or i wanted seeds off we went <laughs> There was always a poor purpose to the walk, wasn't there? There was. <laughs> and you could never go on holiday somewhere without it being like, oh, I could make this into a lesson. Oh, let me buy that book. This could this could work. <laughs> yes, it's and true. Always, and she always made us keep a diary over the summer holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Where you have to stick in all the postcards and write, collect yes. stuff and write about it every summer. And I, I happen to know all her grandchildren have to do that as well now. <laughs> That's the thing. Well, talking of which, your lovely son, he, he coaches rugby on the side. I mean, he's only 18, but do you think he's inherited 19. the teaching? For, oh, he's 19. Oh, gosh, it just makes me feel old, Vic. Um, like, he, he's inheriting it, I think. I think he's getting that bug. Well, we've just had him home for Christmas, which has been lovely. And I did broach that, you know um that side of things is like no but then I was like you say he's already coaching and I'm my way into teaching although I was very anti it because of mum was I was sort of teaching piano lessons I reckon for what from the age of about 12 mum yeah probably um and Those so piano lessons were hell. <laughs> you loved them shut up <laughs> wasn't just Hannah I taught I did hate teach other people it was your middle sister who wouldn't do as she was told no, and still doesn't, to be fair. No. <laughs> but in context for the middle sister to, to give her a shout out. Uh, so we're all teachers and we all talk about the having tough days and a kid throwing a chair. But the middle sister is uh, a paediatric nurse consultant. So if we said we've had a bad day and then she'll be like, well, did you have a child die? And we're like, no. She's like, well, stop your whinging. Um, so she always trumps us in that respect, definitely. Yeah, and interestingly, though, because both you and I said we weren't going to be teachers, middle child was actually planning to be a teacher and then didn't become one. Yeah, that's true. She she started on the course, didn't she, and then changed her mind. Yes, yes, she did. And, and that was a lot of trauma as well. <laughs> I would really like to find out, the people that became teachers whose parents' teachers, whether they wanted to or it's just how they ended up doing it I know I really didn't want to and then obviously I got into teaching scuba diving and I like that and then when I did my master's I, I was on that with lots of teachers and I, I kind of really they were so enthusiastic about it as well and I was like oh well maybe I'll give it a go and then I remember going to an interview lesson so I I didn't 
go into training, I went straight as um, an instructor on a maternity cover. And I remember you write, helping me write that lesson, mum. And I, I still remember it now. It was cut out like people and we did some Mondrian and made them into fashion garments. Um, and at the time, I didn't know there were two positions available as a part-time and a full-time um, cover. And um, they gave me the part-time cover, but apparently the art teacher was so impressed, she actually wanted to give me the full-time but the DT teacher was like, no, she's never taught before in her life. We can't do that. Um, so the fact that I'd never taught a lesson in my life, but the first lesson I ever taught was in an interview and I got a job off the back of it. It has to be that I got that from you. There's no other way about it. There's no other kind of way I've inherited that natural instinct of how to demand a class. How could I teach a whole class? I do think teachers are born. I think you you either can teach or you can't. You can be taught how to teach. You can be taught um, strategies, but you can either do them or you can't. You have to have that authority. You have to have you just. It's just an instinct of knowing when to go in hard, when to not go in hard, when to how far to go. It, it's it's just there. It's instinct. I definitely think we all inherit the teacher voice. <laughs> yes. I think some of our partners will probably agree with that. Oh, yeah, definitely my husband. I'm not one of your pupils. Yes. Take your teacher voice away. <laughs> Which my son's now parrot off him as well. Although he's now working in a school as well. So that's rubbed off on him as well. That's the thing. You're spreading your wings. I do think your youngest daughter, though, she has definitely got a teacher voice that she oh, uses on the older boys. Yes, she does. And on me. I did I did ask mine the other day what he wanted to be earlier. And he said he wants to be like me. He wants to be a teacher. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think we've got another generation of teachers between us, definitely. One of us will do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're making me very proud, both of you. Right, I'm just... I'm going to play our news and then I will come back to you too. Uh, maybe you can think of any other moments that you um, can think of that you've influenced each other's teaching. Um, and I will come back to you in a moment. If I can get this to scroll down. Or actually, just talk a bit longer. I can't get this to scroll down. <laughs> technical issue oh i'm there i'm there i've got it uh, yeah i'm i'm mum's like lack of kind of ability with computers has rubbed off on me somewhat but i um, just gonna have a little listen to our news today this show is brought to you in partnership with john cat educational a leading publisher of books directories educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the uk and beyond have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. 
Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue with The Guardian reporting that many head teachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families, meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. So as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio News this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their requests for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, Half of England's students are facing financial difficulty, with three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The Standards Advisory Group has been active for more than a decade and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former Education Minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere, so it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly compared to other countries. The AI also carries news of the decision by Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Ms Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest head teacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the commission in jeopardy. Ms Burblesing wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many, but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Burblesing also commented that she felt the role of social mobilities are meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alberston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project, named Flying High by Pupils, 
we'll see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, did you know I've been doing this show for a year now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But they keep you, your data and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off, and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday, spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update. They'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people, who in most schools are like ghosts, if Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern-day make-do-and-mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks, but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, a thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So talking of tech, we've got the chat about uh, GPT uh, with Roger after this show. So if you're interested about that, that's kind of flared up and everybody's talking about it, do go and have a listen to that um, as well. Um, Ladies, have you got um, any particular moments of influence that you can think of? I think that actually you influenced me towards the end of my teaching career by showing me where the future was i can remember some particular uh, i don't know what you call them um broadcast talks that you could uh plug into which you sent me the links to which i really enjoyed and then shared them back at my school well done han I think that's because you kind of moved more to teaching kind of key stage four art and textiles as well. So you kind of needed kind of a, a different range of things. And as I kind of learned more about it and that wasn't your specialism, I was able to help a little bit in that respect as well. Definitely. I don't think I I'd never been involved in GCSEs before. And suddenly I found myself being involved with GCSE art and textiles uh, and your your help and input there um, was fantastic, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so did my pupils. Do you think you'd have taken that kind of responsibility on if if you didn't have me as a daughter blowing my own trumpet? Um, <laughs> I think I probably would, but it would have been a lot harder if I'd have had to do the research myself instead of just tapping into your knowledge. I think that's the thing as well. I know I've spoken to you, Vic, about head of department stuff because you were one for much longer than I was. Um, and in that respect, it's been nice to have your support and advice in that respect. Well, I also find that sometimes like 
I have a little habit with with Han that I quite often I'll go down to the beach and walk the dog and phone Hannah and we'll probably walk I'll probably walk up and down the dog um the, with the dog quite a few times whilst we sort of put things to right but we're not we're talking and things Hannah it was um I sort things out in my own head as well I think that's oh, the thing it, it's nice well. to have that kind of like space to kind of say things openly without judgment that perhaps if you actually said to another teacher you'd be like oh they're going to think this of me uh, where actually it's quite nice to in family it's like in the family vault and you can kind of say what you want and you can either be like and you're going to be honest and brutal as well you're going to be like oh no you are overreacting you need to calm down and just let it go like, I think mum tells me to let it go quite a lot I get quite stressed about my teaching I, I just I just care so much about the kids I want to get it right and it's like but you can't get it right all the time and I think it's that realizing that expectation that you guys can kind of ground me, but also support me when I need it. And also, nothing's perfect. And and also, I think because we're all mums as well, there's that whole thing, isn't there? I think there's always, I think a lot of teachers who are parents will often, you know, feel guilty because teaching is so full on. Um, We'll have those conversations as well, won't we? Oh God, it's parents' evening. What am I going to do with the child and... But it's all coming full circle with your poor little, your poor little boy, Hannah, who is five. Uh, so when Granny picks him up from school, what does he have to do? You do maths with him, an extra kind of speaking and talking uh, with him. So the chocolate button yeah, maths, Granny. Cho chocolate button maths with Grandma. So he literally comes home and he gets extra lessons with you and then he'll, he'll, I know he's he's asked to FaceTime you, Vicky, and get piano lessons and play <laughs> you some of his videos. I have very strong memories of coming to Cornwall and you having something up on the chalkboard when Archie was really young. And like, and then we were trying to teach him something and your other half being, oh God, will you teachers just leave the poor boy alone? It's like <laughs> everything in this house is always a lesson. But like you say, he is now, he spent last year when his his last year in a levels he had a job coaching at another school rugby so he's doing it as well he may not realize it but he's in no he doesn't think he's teaching <laughs> oh boy. and he doesn't you know he doesn't want to teach and everything but you can see that pattern is there han it's gonna go through because as far as i'm concerned coaching is the same thing isn't it and yeah. he you know he you know when he's had difficulties with children that he's been coaching and he's like mum i know this child's got autism can you help give me some advice on how to do it and he also does um summer holiday clubs as well and he you know he'll come home and he'll sit down and he'll talk to me about it and then he'll he'll go away and try things he's like oh yeah i tried that today i just took him off for a walk took him, took him away from all the noise and he settled straight away and then by the end of the summer holidays he was the one being called in to deal with the children on that had these additional needs and that's where teaching has changed so much because when i first started teaching it was just naughty children and though nobody knew well, i suppose dyslexia was heard of but very little else nobody mentioned autism nobody mentioned adhd dyspraxia all those things uh, they've all come later all been developed and it's good that that people can now see what causes children to behave the way they do. They're not just naughty children, they're crying out for help. So do you think, Mum, if you look back now, and I'm, as I said, that 
lasting memory for me is that first place that you taught special needs in um which i think was quite pivotal for me in influencing me if you look back there now with your knowledge could you sort of I mean, maybe say oh gosh that was that and that was that and, and things like that definitely but also the children the children just wanted somebody to take an interest in them i can remember introducing um sewing to the big boys they were all ostensibly doing it for their girlfriends or for their auntie or their mum or their sister but actually everything they made all the cuddly toys they made were for themselves but they'd never had that oh here's one hand so i don't think you were ever taught by mum were you no i wasn't so i was taught by mum and going back to the needlework thing mother <laughs> mum mum i remember mum teaching in my school and first of all she taught french which was hysterical <laughs> because she she can't teach french and she used to disappear the night before to go and be taught the lesson and then she taught me music which now is a qualified music teacher what consisted of radio plays um, <laughs> then the third thing my third, my third cross to bear was the needlework lessons now mum that is your you are amazing at, <laughs> at that side of you used to come to school and you had the most brilliant things i remember we we're all in a big hall it must have been a like a multi-class thing that you did but everyone was doing such exciting things except for me <laughs> who had to do whatever you thought was a good idea for a christmas gift for auntie <laughs> <Sally and Sally. laughs> oh make me feel guilty go on I, I started, uh, the, the words that went through my young brain i was so, you know people were making lovely fluffy animals and things oh i think grandma needs a new needle work case why don't you i don't want to make a needle case i want to make a fluffy bunny like so and so oh dear are you now getting your own back though because you now teach your children <laughs> Um, I have taught, um, no, not currently teaching my children. but oh, they've, all, um, they've all just flew out the nest, haven't they? they, they you were last year. Yeah, so last, and uh, quite interesting because it, it came up in conversation with my middle son, who I taught for two years for music. And um, I don't shout a lot. I try not to shout. Um, but he will, he will tell you that if she goes, she can go and she can shout. Um, because obviously, uh, I think for him at, at at times, you know, if I would, and it was an exam class I was teaching him with, and just very, he was very good. He managed it very well. He dealt with mum being in school, being his teacher, really well. But there was the one or two occasions in a two year course where he was obviously in a bad mood, and it was mum, not his teacher. So he'd turn around and snap at me. Well, uh, yeah, he quickly realised he couldn't do that. Did you put him in detention? I did once. <laughs> I I remember your other half telling me, didn't he make him do the bleep test? And then he swore at him for making <laughs> him run so fast. Yes. So we've both, um, both myself and my husband have coached rugby as well because, our, well, my husband's very into rugby and both the boys have, um, have, got that as an aspiration and are following that career path and we're very proud they're doing really well but it, it very much started with both myself and my husband 
coaching them and and yes my husband does love a good bleep test um and he didn't see the issue really in pushing the boys to see how far they could go and they can now push themselves very far <laughs> is I that the benefit of a teacher parent that they push you slightly harder because they have higher expectations than their other pupils I do remember when you were you were quite keen on swimming at one point Hannah and I actually did my assistant coaches because I was so fed up of just sitting there watching and I wanted to get in there and help you I think it's, it's difficult as a parent who's a teacher isn't it if you're on the sideline and there is an, the most amazing volunteer community out there, but you know you've got that background and that understanding. It's quite hard sitting back and not doing it, isn't it? I've never so been you, somebody just, who can sit back and not do. Just you, you can't help but teach. It's in your blood. You can't. You have to teach, even if it's a situation where you're not meant to be teaching, and you could just sit and read a book. You still want to get involved and teach. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the hardest things I find now I've retired is the not collecting the ideas. I find that really hard. I'll go for a walk and I think, oh, look at those fantastic pine cones. Look how big they are. They'd make fantastic hedgehogs or they'd make fantastic this or that. I think, oh, no, don't need to collect them anymore. But you I are mean... still doing, are you doing a little thing once a month, Mum? I'm not doing anything at the moment, no. Because I knew a couple of months ago you were doing like an arts thing like once a month or something no not really no. i no. i i hoard it i am is that i think that's a teaching thing especially an art teacher thing like i do hoard a lot of things um and i am slightly addicted to education books um and our lovely sponsor john cat have amazing ones and i, I have a full shelf of their um books and i think kind of i do when i have a little rummage through your shelves Vic and have a look like <laughs> I think it's good to um kind of see what each other's reading I know I, I'm reading one at the moment and I was chatting away to our assistant head and now he started reading it over Christmas as well and he's like oh this is really good and I think it's that kind of um that you're more likely to kind of influence each other and give each other ideas and, and kind of and same as we talked about courses didn't we I was telling you the course yeah. I was on and you're like oh actually I quite fancy one of those I'm going to look into it and it's like kind of keeping each other going i applied at the weekend yay <laughs> but yeah it is um and like you say it's it's like no holds barred because we don't have to be politically correct with each other we don't have to worry we could we trust each other that and, and also the fact you know from my point of view teaching in cornwall you're unlikely to come across anyone that i teach with um so that there's that there's that sort of added security as well of being able to just say whatever you need. It's it's I suppose it's quite therapeutic in a way as well. Um, I mean, I was never taught by mum, but I did teach with her once. So when I was doing my training, I had to do a placement in a special needs school. So I went and taught with mum at her school. Uh, and the kids called me Mini Miss Price um, was my name for I think it was one or two weeks that I was there. Yeah. Um, but that that was it, I think the kids were more confused by it than I was. But I loved going in and seeing you teach and, and kind of you in your element. But they enjoyed it. They thought it, they thought it was great that you were there because they liked to that little input insight into your family that you're letting them into. They feel it makes them feel special. 
think it's easier for us to do to let them in and let them know a bit when when you are a family of teachers if that makes sense you all kind of like we were brought into your school and and kind of I've brought my son into school on kind of when it's the school play and and evenings like that the kids have met him I mean he fell in love with Peter Pan and he asked to come to school with me every day purely because he thinks I now teach Peter Pan um but it is it's that kind of magical experience that the for the kids to kind of see that little bit of your personal life and kind of see that whole aspect of it yeah and I think although from my point of view of I always said I would never teach in my school that my children teach in uh, and maybe that goes back to the whole needlework class I don't know but um thanks <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do now teach in my community and, and as I said I've taught my son and, and my daughter says I'm not allowed to leave until she's finished in that school either um, and I, I think I, she'll regret that once she starts possibly very likely although she'll just boss me around as you say she's a definite teacher in the making as well going back to what you said though I remember when I was doing my teacher training long 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 time ago um, because I'm really old compared to you um, I had to do a because I, I had to do a primary setting and I went in with mum and did a couple of I can't remember if it was on my training or, or if it was before my training to be able to gain some experience mum but do you remember I came in and did like some African drumming lessons oh yes I'd forgotten about that yes yeah. that was great yeah that was well that's like 25 years ago oh yeah but uh, we had that access in it, you know it can be quite daunting to when you're thinking about teaching you know and they recommend that you go in and you try it and you have a go in some schools and things like that well we had like that open access didn't we hannah because um it's really easy to say oh mum can i come and do some teaching with you yeah. I think I was able to manage my workload better from seeing mum. Obviously, my workload was never like mum's. I didn't do teaching and then go and work behind the bar in the evenings. But like in terms of when I did my training, so I was an instructor for two years and then I did my um, teaching qualification as a salary directed route. So I kept my timetable. I, I did full timetable four days a week from the get go. And on the Friday, I went and did my course. And I think like for a lot of people that would have been like oh game changer too much gone whereas I had to write lesson plans for every single lesson that I taught and I was teaching way more than anybody else on my course because I was like full in from the start but I just was able to to manage it and I, I, I think that was just there was a natural element to it and I really at my first school I was I was going on courses and coming back and bringing in new ideas and everybody really appreciated it. I was also kind of noticing gaps in the curriculum and quite early in my career. And even now I look back at that, I'm like, how did I work that out? Like, I, I don't quite know. It just seemed very, very natural to me teaching that I was just able to kind of pick and see the gaps and, and see how to develop things well. I do worry that there is just so much to teach now. There is so much that we are expected to teach and quite rightly so. Um, but how do you get it all into the curriculum? There just isn't the hours in the day to do everything you want to do as well as you want to do it. And have that time to be able to put your kind of that personalization to it, the autonomy to really 
kind of take it to that next level like it does require a lot of time and effort to be a teacher um and I feel like I'm now at a point in my career where I've I've developed a lot of curriculums and I can just sit and work I, ne- I never teach the same year twice like I always everything is being tweaked the lessons always change but I'm very comfortable in the way that I've planned everything and I'm confident in delivering it that I can kind of relax into teaching now but it is is that you still have to be on your toes you still know it's going to change in some way yeah I mean I remember when you were training Han and I remember sort of you know a few phone calls and saying look Han this is the worst year once you build up that database and your your experience and everything like that but it's and you can but you can sort of understand those first few years in teaching is it there's so much to do isn't there you because you the more you the more you teach the more you just have experience and knowledge and practical things at your fingertips where when when a lesson's going wrong that you can just tweak it and change it and and things but I I do remember having conversations with you and and saying trust me it's going to get easier did you ever listen to me and go oh my god she don't have a clue like or, or was like oh she's really excited about something but that's really not very exciting I remember mum and I having conversations and mum saying oh god Hannah's gonna go into teaching I'm not sure this is right and I was like you're what <laughs> she's going into teaching where did I think we were both a bit shocked mum I didn't think you were ever going to grow up, Hannah. <laughs> there is that as well. We just thought you were going to surf your entire life. Absolutely. I know, I just, I and let's face it, you still do a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the woman that uh, Ofsted loved the fact that I broke my foot planning a surfing well-being session for school. Um, so I've, I've not quite given it up just yet. Um, I still I still want to at some point in my career take the kids on a scuba diving trip that is my ultimate teaching goal oh um, can I come <laughs> always have an extra hand I mean no to be fair because when you came out to visit me and took you diving and you learned to dive because I love teaching um, I refused to teach you I made somebody else teach you because I didn't want to teach my mum how to scuba dive I remember that very well I arrived here's your hut mum there's, there's no loo, it's it's just in the jungle around there. And uh, my friend's going to teach you to scuba dive. I'm I'm working. Bye. I mean, to be fair, you did then fall over and break your leg, but we didn't realise it and you kept diving. All no, way. you made me carry time. on. You had no sympathy for me. Here's some yeah. Monica, get on with it. It was it was not quite <laughs> you you said it wasn't too bad in my defense I, I put you on the boat I didn't make you climb on it you didn't make me push the boat out that was no. it I was allowed to sit on the boat when it went out but I still I still did all the diving with a broken ankle and we, I flew uh... back and your middle sister was horrified are we are we slightly harsher as parents because we're teachers have we got that old get up and get on with it like put a wet paper towel on it and get on with it is is that like from being children of teachers i mean being a teacher itself i mean as my older two have gone through sort of post-16 qualifications and gcse in the last couple of years and um the ways i found to make sure they were doing revision they were doing revision you know i mean even if it even if will you play can i can i play rugby you can only do rugby if we do a french verb for every pass you know that sort of thing 
<laughs> Absolutely. And you were never off with teaching because you were so involved. You, you didn't want to be off. You didn't want somebody else to teach your class. It was your class. You wanted to, you wanted the best for them and you were not going to let them down. Because I've got that. So my friend, um, his son is currently, he's year 11 this year and she's going heaven and earth to help him pass but it's almost like she said that it's almost like she's she's learning all these extra subjects to then be able to teach him did you feel like that as a teacher you had the obligation that you needed to know kind of in more detail how to be able to get your child to pass that well I think this goes back to me having to teach French and music when I didn't know a thing about them <laughs> if you can teach you can teach anything you just have to learn it we all know how to teach. The teaching bit is natural, but the actual topic, not so much. The facts are just the bit that needs filling in. <laughs> I have to say, talk about French, I did learn a lot of French with the, with the recent GCSEs. I mean, I hated languages. I, I mean, think, it was I think that work. all comes back to your mum. I was never any good at it. <laughs> well, I think that comes from that lovely dyslexia gift you gave to us all. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Maybe if you'd learned to teach languages better, we would be all be a bit better off. But I was never a linguist. I was a scientist. <laughs> It'd be boring if everyone was the same. But it's quite interesting then because I struggle with languages, but then I go into, you know, in my, in my, in my senior role, I get to go into other people's classrooms and, and I see how it is taught now compared to how I was taught. And I, and I do often think... If I'd been, to, you know, you were talking, Mum, about how teaching has developed. If I had been taught languages the way languages are taught now, I'm sure I would have had a love with them, and I'm sure I would have got on a lot better with it. Yeah, and, you know, I get on well with some of Absolutely. the languages. Absolutely, Absolutely. And, and, and my last years of teaching, when I had my class, I we used to do we used to do the register in French. We used to talk about the weather in French. We had five minutes talking about French talking in French before school every morning and actually I loved it and they loved it it goes back to that thing though as well doesn't it that I think for me personally one of the most important things about being a teacher is someone who's in is as a teacher you need to be interested in continuing your own education I yeah, think absolutely. that's quite a, a big thing I think we're all quite addicted to learning um, as as proven by the fact that you became a rugby coach and mum, you became a swim coach on the side just because you didn't want to sit there. But I do think you kind of end up inheriting this very much love of learning and wanting to be able to, that, that need to help and kind of support as well. Yeah, and Lucy's like, I mean, our middle sister's like that as well because look at the profession she's gone into. I, th I do think it overcrosses quite a lot. I think it's quite quite similar um i don't know who's got the better bedside manner though <laughs> <laughs> i'm just keeping quiet yeah <laughs> mother she's not here to defend herself but <laughs> but i do think i think it's interesting kind of because th that aspect of it as well like my niece is very into marine biology and obviously i got very into that and learned a lot about that when i was uh traveling and scuba diving and i kind of like like passing that down to her and teaching her about it so even if it's not necessarily kind of what we're teaching I'm not teaching her art I mean granted she sends me her art book as well and I help with that but it is that kind of you can't help but want to 
kind of pass on information. I mean, I can't go crab fishing on the pier in Cromer without telling people how to tell the different male and female crabs apart and the different species. Like, I just, I'll end up with a crowd of kids. Um, it's a bit, I think being a teacher, you do end up a bit of a pie piper. You, you kind of, it's just that natural kind of thing of expelling information. That was one of the best school trips I ever did. One of the end of term tri- uh, school trips was I took my class crab fishing on Cromer Pier and they absolutely loved it. <laughs> Cost nothing. See, I went one up. I did it as a science experiment and the different kids had different baits and we saw how many crabs each different each bait cost to work um, to caught to see which was more efficient as a bait. You had to go one up on your mum, didn't you? I know. I just I can't help it. To be fair, I think we did that as children. Anyway, didn't we always come down that bacon was the best thing? Oh no, liver. Liver. Oh, I know. I just couldn't do liver. And oh, then, um, I always thought it was a fish fish skeleton. I was going to say we used to get the fish skeletons from the pub and take them, and, and we'd we, everyone else would have their bacon, and we'd rock up with a whole entire skeleton. Yeah, a, a very large one. <laughs> that was just cheating, though, because it acted like a net because they all sat on top and couldn't get away. <laughs> But you see, going back to the teaching coming down the generations, who takes your son, Hannah, who takes your son rock pooling now when we go to Cromer in the summer? Well, well, my nieces yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. And they're passing on that information again to him. And they love it. And he loves it. It's addicted. <laughs> He's addicted. He does already like explaining stuff to me. And my daughter, one of her favourite things to do in is she will set up a schoolroom and she loves taking registers and I'll go through all her, you know, little notebooks lying around and should have had play dates and there'll be registers there and they'll also have decided what they're having, you know, what each person's having for lunch and so that's still there as well. I do remember. Here we go, next generation. (laughs) Also, I remember her in COVID bossing the boys around and making sure they were sat doing their lessons. She rules our house. <laughs> I, th- I think she's going to be the biggest teacher out of all of us. <laughs> I can see her teaching. Yeah. And do you know what's really scary? Consider- I think, because you t- obviously both arts-based, I think she is um, arts-based as well. <laughs> I think she'll be art- arts-based. I-, I do. I absolutely do. She loves it. And she's willing to diversify. But is that like... Obviously, you've kind of passed that down a bit because um, you love whenever you go visit, you'll go do some arts and crafts or you'll bring up a kit and you'll do it. And is it the way that you almost interact with your children? Is the way that you are teaching them to do activities that makes them kind of fall in love with the process of it almost, that we're doing it kind of subconsciously. We don't even realise that we're automatically teaching. Unless you happen to find a slow worm for Auntie Hannah, uh, Auntie Lucy and want to show her it. Oh, yes, that does not go down well. But I think you do it with all the grandchildren, though, Mum, because you've taught them all one time or other, and I think that's just part of 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 who you are. I think as a teacher, and you know, your your teaching experience is mind boggling, and it's amazing, and it's it's become you. And when I see you with the grandchildren you're great at just teaching them and there's sometimes and I'll like tearing my hair out and and you'll just sort of walk one of them away and and just 
and just calm the situation down and, and do all those things that I know I should have done as a teacher, but because I'm a mum, I can't do it at that moment in time. And um, be able to, you know, and, and just diffuse the situation and then do it another way. You're going to make me cry in a minute. Thank you so much. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, back to that needle case. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't got over that. All the fact you didn't let me do ballet lessons, but that's another story. Do you think we also inherit a bit of a a, a teacher sense of humour? Like there is there is teacher humour, isn't there? There are kind of like in jokes about kind of the way things teach and the way things happen and and stuff. You have to have like quite well, a hard got shell to have to a sense of humour. You've just got to have a sense of humour. Well, I think between the three of us, it's you know it's anything to do literacy based, isn't it? Because it's not one of our strengths. Um, but as a teacher, you're always teaching literacy and, you know, what what has some child managed to pick up that you've done wrong on the board this time? And, and Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Ask any of my class. They all know that if they found that they they will read whatever I put on the board so carefully because they know they will get a point or whatever it was that we were doing at the time if they found a mistake uh, in my grammar or my spelling. And that's I great. That I'm too. quite happy. I, I do didn't do it too. deliberately, though. <laughs> No, I don't do it deliberately, but I say, look, literacy is, is one of my weaknesses. If you see something on the board and you can correct it, that's a merit. But I think that's great. I think it's great as the children see that you're human. Definitely. I think it's that thing of, of you just, once you're a teacher, you're a teacher and it, it is in your blood and you can kind of teach and adapt to other subjects. Um and even like I've I've taught some of my students maths when they finish their art and they're just studying a lesson, they're like, oh, I can't do this paper. And then I'm like, oh, let's give it a go. And I think I think if I wasn't from a teaching background, I wouldn't have that confidence that it, it, I'm not I'm not an art teacher. I am a teacher. And I think that's down to kind of from the family that I've come from. And I think it's just knowing just how much just to put in to get them off the mark. And then standing back so that it's their work and not yours. You just have to give them a little nudge in the right direction and off they go. Or a little bit of confidence. And have also, you ever done supply? I did um, briefly. So after I qualified, I took a role at a brand new school that had only been open two years. So it didn't have all the kids. So I was doing four days there and one day supply. Um, so that was quite interesting going into other schools and teaching other subjects. I remember going specifically to one school uh, and being told I wasn't teaching one lesson because they were having an assembly on behaviour. But then one of the kids sent the fire alarm off. So we ended up outside in the rain. Um, and I was like, oh, I understand why you need the behaviour assembly. See, I didn't like supply. I didn't mind doing supply for a term or two terms and things like that. But I did not like doing odd days. Because to me, it was building those relationships with the children that was important. You can go in and do supply, but you've got to go in hard as a supply teacher. You can't yes. be soft. Um, and that's not me. Yeah. I think it is that. Like, you can't um, kind of get to know the students, and that is the answer to it. Whenever I come to you going, like, oh, I don't know how to get this student to hear. It's like you've got to build the relationship with them. You've got to work out 
what how to connect with that student how to get them engaged in it it's having that little conversation to get that hook to get them in and I, I don't necessarily think that that's like a natural thing um I do think that's kind of something um that's experience that, isn't yeah. it yeah it's knowing the child and knowing what makes them tick you say oh well maybe you'll have to miss football practice if you don't get that done and you know that there will be nothing worse you know um it's just knowing what makes each child tick what little thing you have to you have to do to get them to do it yeah i even supported manchester united for a brief spell just so i could talk to a kid about <laughs> it to get them engaged to get them going he did his whole project on it in the end uh needless to say that that did not stay or last and that was a painful way to uh engage a child i just had to fast forward through match of the day to the important bits and, and then i, I think pretended like i watched the whole thing thing for teachers for, for teachers to have to learn about football teams in order to to talk to some of the boys oh no that... i just say i'm really sorry i can't do football however would you like to talk about rugby <laughs> well <laughs> i do always turn it turn it round and say actually i do prefer rugby <laughs> That's my hook. I've got a couple of rugby boys and I'm like, oh, my nephews, they're doing really good. I've even shown them a video of um, one of uh, Fred's awesome tackles. Um, and they were like, oh, that is impressive, miss. Um, and it, it, it is that kind of in, engagement and getting them involved and kind of then they're like suddenly all open to talking to you. And I think it just is that thing of making it human. And I think it, it's not a natural thing for people, I think, that aren't immersed in teaching from a young age yeah i think so i think it would be very interesting if we had this same conversation in 15 years time and see where we are on next <laughs> i just hope i'm still here <laughs> That's i would mother. keep going for those long walks girl <laughs> i would love to know what your boy's opinion is of kind of having you as a teacher whether it, it is like you and mum and the needlework or whether they do have fond kind of memories of it <laughs> i think it's too, i think for fred it's a bit raw archie i managed to i sort of miss because i was meant to teach him but we went into the pandemic so he he sort of went um i think i know fred because i mainly coached fred he generally quite appreciated it and and you know was like well i think i think um <laughs> I know, however, the older one, on one occasion, we had a joint session going on between about three or four age groups. So they were all separated in age group. They were doing the same exercise one after another. Um, and unfortunately for me, the older one is huge. Archie is, is huge. He is your typical rugby looking um, bloke. He's a bloke now. And um, unfortunately for me, his coach, who was his dad, told him off. He then lined me up and tackled me. And I reckon he sent me back about 30 feet. <laughs> and I'm sure that was only because I was his mum. And I didn't yeah. even know it was coming. And it, it was so bad. The, the, the rest, all the other boys there sent him, gave him punishment. They just sent him round and round the film. And to be fair to him, he just went and took the punishment because he knew he'd done the wrong thing. But I think, yeah, I think you, you know, sometimes there's that they they really but then that's something that all children have to learn is how far you can go and that is a very fine line and it's a very fine line for teachers as well as to how far you can go and you have to know when to stop 
and it's harder when it's your mum absolutely <laughs> i do i do like that idea of kind of coming back in kind of 15 years time and it'll be me and you vic and kind of discussing whether our kids or our kids think whether they look back on us as teachers fondly or whether they're still traumatized by owl pellets and needlework <laughs> well i'm not going to be traumatizing your son hannah because we do the maths with chocolate buttons I know. Why did I not get chocolate buttons? Why did I get <laughs> owl pellets put in my pocket? Buttons either. <laughs> I struggled with maths. You never gave me chocolate buttons. <laughs> no, I thought you were tutor. <laughs> to be fair, you never gave me owl pellets either. <laughs> it can be arranged. <laughs> I'm feeling are you are you less strict with your grandchildren than you are because do you think it's because you've now retired or do you think it's just that you're I don't think I am now? less strict with them actually I think I have more to do with your son obviously because you live locally but yeah I don't have any problems well I mean he's a really good boy anyway but yeah I say something he does it and I mm -hmm. think that's yeah just how, the way it is he knows when my voice changes like all children do all classes do you you have the voice don't you um <laughs> that's that teacher voice we were talking about yeah, yeah we, that's definitely, the one. we definitely inherited that 100 percent. i think i had that before i became a teacher oh yeah you did it was like when you were trying to explain to me how i was going to get onto this on saturday i was going hannah please slow down I mean, if you can if you can work out how to do online learning during COVID, mother, you can you can work out how to log on to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is my very first podcast. Girls well, doing good. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be demand for more of you. Oh, I don't we'll know have to do what. we'll have to do teaching through the ages and and kind of look at <laughs> back to the Elizabethan era. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks a lot, girls. <laughs> I know I'm ancient. I would, I would also go going back to what you were saying about teaching your grandchild children and that you think you reckon you're still as strict with them as you were with us. I happen to know a certain middle child of mine who can charm the pants off you and get you to do whatever you want you to do. <laughs> Just turns on a bit of his little bit of a charm and that he's got right round you. Yes, but one more rugby tackle and that's it. <laughs> But is that that we're all like as teachers we're very we learn the, the the persuasive ways that work we we know how to adapt and change to try and control a situation <laughs> yeah and we're lucky in that respect aren't we we are lucky with our families because none of us really have any problems in that respect with our families we they've all you've all grown up and you've all you've all got careers you've all got houses you've all got your own children and the children are all doing well so well done well that's down to you, oh, Mum. you you've made us into strong um women that kind of work hard and and, and we're passionate about what we do because we're good at what we do and we're, we're natural in it i think we have kind of gut reflexes in in what to do and what's proper and, and, we, and we've learned that for you thank you do you have any final comments? There was you worried that you weren't going to be able to talk for this long. I know. What mum was worried she wasn't going to be able to talk. <laughs> I know. I did. I did not predict a problem. Well, I've been out of teaching now for nearly eighteen months. So I thought, what am I going to say? A small percentage compared to how long you were in. <laughs> True. 
I keep feeling guilty that we keep reminding you how long you're a teacher, Mum. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't regret any of it. I absolutely love my teaching career. I might have got there by default because I was in the B class, but it was <laughs> the right career for me and I have really, really enjoyed it. And I have had some wonderful children to teach. I I have gratefulness for that B class. Although I was reluctant, I got there in the end. And oh, I remember teaching that first lesson and coming out of it and gone, why didn't I do that sooner? Like, I just truly love my job. Right, so I'm going to say thank you very much, ladies. That is the end of our show. I'm just going to remind everyone that we are sponsored by the lovely um, John Cat, uh, And here's a little reminder of what they offer. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This show... Thank you so much um, and have a lovely evening. You too. I hope we haven't bored two people too much with our family um, discussion. Yeah, I'm sorry. I feel as if we got a little bit, um, <laughs> I don't know, off the subject at times, but thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me air my grievances about my needlework. <laughs> I can't wait to see what your children say about you in the future. <laughs> I think they say it now. <laughs> right thank you very much everybody thanks for joining uh do come again to another one of our shows or download and listen again goodbye goodbye bye